Hi, this is Michelle Cedarberg, author of The Success Energy Equation, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Michelle Cedarberg. As a professional speaker, coach, and author, Michelle believes that personal and professional success are directly influenced by how well we harness the physical, mental, and emotional capacity each of us has within us. She's on a mission to help people find excellence through better health and has been featured on major Canadian media outlets like Best Health, The National Post, Global News, and more. Michelle lives in Calgary and is here to talk about her book, The Success Energy Equation. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's such a pleasure. Tell me, when you were growing up, Who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I was a kayaker when I was growing up. So my coach, when I was 13, 14, 15, his name was Hugh, was just a big influence for me to help me realize what was possible. Not just with the kayaking that I was doing, but with you know everything that I had planned for in my life as a young teenager, you know, with doubts and all that. So yeah, my, my kayaking coach from my teenage years. So give me an example of something, a conversation or an example that Hugh set that helped you understand that there's so much more possible for you? Well, I, I was a kayaker that had a, a quite a bit of um, success when I was younger. And so I would often get very let down if I didn't win a race. And so he spent a lot of time with me working on my mental fortitude, which as a you know teenager, you don't really think about, but he spent a lot of time telling me that you know every time that you lose, it's an opportunity for you to learn and to change what you're doing so that you can work better and move forward. There's no such failure, no such thing as failure, just research. <laughs> what a great perspective and what a lasting impact that can make, especially on a, a young teen. Do you remember in your work life, maybe a decade or so later, when you were making decisions about maybe a job or even what to do in a position where you had maybe supervisory responsibility and his words came back to you and you found yourself patterning something that you were saying to someone at work based upon Hugh's message to you as a teenager? Well, I actually use it for myself, quite honestly, Bill, when I was shifting from working full-time in a fitness facility to starting my own business and having that fear of, oh my gosh, what if this doesn't work? And you know, one of the things I got in my head, well, what if it does? You know, What if all this hard work does pay off? And, and he was often there in my head saying, you just gotta push a little harder, keep your eye on the line, which is something he would say about the finish line. You know, when you're heading down the race course, put your eye, you know, get your eye on the line and just keep just keep paddling. <laughs> How true, because when we take our eye off the line, we can get distracted and any type of distraction we encounter will affect our energy, won't it? Oh, my gosh. I mean, and that is more true today than it ever was back, you know, when I was paddling or even when I was shifting into my speaking business uh, 17 years ago. We're, you know, keeping your eye on the line is a lot harder these days. And, you know, back then, keeping my eye, eye on the line was very much about pushing aside my self-doubt and just being willing to do the work, trusting that I had it within me to get over that line and see what's next. So let's make the distinction. A lot of distractions are external, Facebook, TV, anything on the outside. And then internal distractions are some of our limiting beliefs, 
or some of that mental chatter that comes in that may be unsupportive, which is typical, or it might even be supportive if we put aware attention on it. How else do you think about distractions in relationship to energy that leads to success? Well, you know, when I was researching my book, I did a lot of reading around our brain and this wonderful organ that drives our you know, intellect and our success and, and the things that we do and distractions, both internal and the ones you're talking about, the device distraction and all of those kinds of things, especially devices, eat up our precious bandwidth. So because it's such an energy hungry organ, right? It needs rest, but we don't give it rest anymore because we go from working on our computer to picking up our phone and scrolling and tapping and scrolling and tapping. And this brain goes, <laughs> it gets tired out and it's no longer able to focus on the things that are right in front of you to do your best work. So yeah, distractions are affecting our success because we're tired. Our bandwidth is done. We're really looking for pause where we need it and, we're, and we don't even recognize that we do. Would you share what the success energy equation is in brief so that we can use that to analyze and deconstruct the effect of distraction? Yeah, I, I created a simple, simple formula with four factors and it's success equals setting clear and exciting goals, having a belief in yourself to accomplish those goals, the discipline within you to do the work, all raised to the power of awesome by the energy within. <laughs> so four factors, goals, belief, discipline, and energy. And energy as an exponent really has an important role to play because the exponent could really magnify those elements, the clear goals, belief, and discipline, or it could minimize them. Even if you have them in place, even if you have the, the clearest goals, strong belief in yourself, and discipline, if you are eating junk food, if you are not getting enough rest, if you are wearing yourself down, you are significantly dividing and really minimizing the effect and impact you could be having. Isn't that right? 100%. And I often say that you know, we can get by, we can have success if we don't take care of our health, physically, mentally, emotionally, cognitively. And if you're experiencing success without doing that, imagine what would be possible if you did take care of your health. And when we you know, do small steps in each of those areas, it will increase our drive to set bigger goals. It will boost our self-esteem and our self-efficacy, you know, which is our ability, our belief in our ability to accomplish things. And it will also give us more energy to do the work when we don't want to do the work, because really that is one of the biggest drivers of success right there. So I think that a lot of people recognize this, but they make excuses up, Michelle, don't they? They, they start to say, oh, I know that's important, but today I'm not going to eat healthy. I'm just going to have Twinkies because they're convenient. And, you know, I, I will get enough sleep maybe after this project is done. It's going to take three more weeks to finish. We make excuses and we put off taking those steps that would boost our energy, that would lead to greater success. Why is it that that's such a hard trap to get out of? And what have you found that helps us break that cycle so that we could make more conscious decisions that are in our own best self-interest? You know, sometimes I give my audiences a break and I say, you know, it's not necessarily that you're making excuses. It's that the, it's that the body that we live in, this physical machinery is amazingly resilient and it will put up with a lot of abuse, but, you know, lack of sleep, not eating the right foods, smoking, drinking too much, whatever it would be. 
before it says, are you kidding me with this program? (laughs) So we get this false sense of security that says, all right, I'm just going to dig in. I'm going to hit the deadline. I'm going to do the work. The exercise can wait. The food is, you know, I'll get back to it when I have a moment. And then, you know, we have this false sense of security that drives us until, of course, we're forgetting, oh gosh, I probably should take care of my health. So, you know, excuses, it's one thing, yes, but I also believe that that we we have we want to do the work and we make the priority that thing in front of us, the project, the deadline, rather than uh, stopping and doing something as frivolous as you know going for a run or taking a break. <laughs> Can you share with me an example of an organization or team that came to you and said, "Look, the pandemic has really kicked our butts," and we're not working in the same physical location anymore, and we're not feeling as connected with each other anymore, and we know that we're capable of more. How do we start? If you have an example that you could share with me, that would be really useful to help get a handle on how to apply this. Okay, so let me tell you about Sheila. One of my coaching clients who happens to be a VP in a travel company, uh, travel and tourism here in the Canadian Rockies, probably has a, a team of 12 direct reports and then another 60 around her, they all shifted to work from home when the pandemic hit. And very interestingly, their problem wasn't that they were not productive enough, is that they were too productive in that they weren't taking breaks. They were working long hours. They weren't listening to their bodies and they were Zooming themselves to death on meetings and then finding their productivity come down. So her challenge was, how do I direct my team to get the work done, but still set some boundaries. And it was, it was a, a challenge because, you know, they were all passionate about their work and the learning curve from moving to online was steep and they just, they didn't want to let their boss down. But what they had to do was listen to their bodies and, and take a step back. I think that a lot of people these days are wanting to show that they're contributing. And when they're not there to get the visual cues, being in the office, showing the work, getting that feedback. When that feedback is missing from the cycle, people try to overcompensate for it by overworking, by staying longer hours, by checking their email, you know, 20 hours a day. And that just isn't helpful. I mean, interestingly, her team didn't want to let her down. They were working hard because they really admire her leadership. And what what she needed to guide them towards was she did a very interesting thing. We ended up calling it a virtual commute when we ended up having a conversation about it in one of our coaching sessions. She told her team, her direct reports, I don't want you to start. I want you to give it the first 30 to 45 minutes of every day to have a virtual commute because normally they would be driving to the office. So I need you to go for a walk or meditate or spend time with your family or walk your dog or whatever it is that you would normally be doing in that shift from home to work, which I thought was really interesting. She made it mandatory that they schedule in their lunch breaks and there's no Zoom meetings, there's no online during that time, just to have some breaks during the day, which sounds like such a simple thing, but our bodies need time to recover. Our brains need time to reset and we can't be going you know, into the screen for eight hours at a stretch without, without moving. And, and in, interestingly, since most of us, when we went into lockdown back in March, I can guarantee that most of us, our step count went down by the thousands per day simply because we weren't leaving our home. Isn't that something? When we have even more time to do this, we it just drops off. 
We sit more rather than walk around more, even though we've never had more of an opportunity to go out and explore the neighborhood. Yeah. And we should be taking advantage of that right now. One of the suggestions that I would have for your listeners is, is if you are working from home or shifting towards that, and even if you are back in the office in some measure, walk yourself to work. If you're working from home, I say walk out the front door, walk around the block for five, 10 minutes. And then when you come back in, head into your home office, even if it's your kitchen table and have that as your transition from, you know, from home to work. Do that again at the end of the day. It's an amazing brain reset that will help you be more present for the work at the beginning of the day and for your family at the end of the day, because we do have to establish those boundaries. I love that idea. Say, what are some of the other two or three habits or routines that you use to cultivate your best energy for productivity and personal relaxation and health? One of the ones that I started to really lean into when all of this happened was this idea of checking in with myself at the beginning of the day before I check in with the world. Because I know that, I I don't even know what the percentage is these days, it's well over 80% of us probably have our phones plugged in at the side of our beds, and it's the first thing we'll reach for when we wake up. So we're, you know, the, you know, the darkness of the bedroom or reaching for a phone and letting that be our entry point into the day. But that's not healthy because then you're not in control of what you need for yourself. So I say, check in with yourself before you check in with the world. I will lie there and I will think, how did I sleep? How am I feeling? What do I need for myself today? What's one or two things that I really need to accomplish in the office that's going to help me feel successful? And to do that rather than allow your emails to hijack your efforts is a very powerful, simple step to just gaining control over your current schedule and and what you want for yourself. That's so true. One of the other things that I loved that you talk about is in your book about how energy is the current in you that informs your path forward. It's what you accomplish, what you feel, and what you believe you're capable of. In your experience with working with teams and different organizations, What's the best way that people can become aware and start to direct that personal energy? You know, I started meditating probably about a year and a half ago and you know, doing it very poorly, <laughs> uh, using apps and all of those types of things and you know, basically talking myself out of meditating because I didn't think I was doing it well. And so what I will suggest is five minutes of sitting, you know, starting your day to just get present can be more powerful than than a lot of, you know, even processing information with pen and paper, just to sit and be present. After I finish my short meditation, I will sit with a piece of paper and I will ask myself what I call the big little question. What do you want, Michelle? What do you want for yourself today? What do you want in general? So I will start with what's the one, two or three things that you really need to accomplish today to feel successful. But I'll also kind of just sit and ask myself, am I doing the right work on the right things right now? When the pandemic hit, this was an interesting experience for me because all of my in-person presentations were delayed or shifted to online and the nature of my business changed almost overnight. And I spent some time really thinking, you know, what next? Like, what if this doesn't, we don't get out of this for a while? What if the future of the speaking business has changed? You know, then what? And it's an interesting thing when you just give yourself permission to ponder, not necessarily to have the answers, but to just kind of sit and get present to the mess, if you will. I think that's probably a first step to getting clear about what success looks like for you. You know, clear away the distractions in your head and just sit with, what do I need for myself? 
do it daily if, if you can, do it weekly if that's what, what's possible. Can you tell me about a client you've worked with who's been able to implement some of these practices to help get their energy focused for the day? Yeah, I have a client named Marion who is working for the town that she's in, small town in northern Alberta, as a, a economic a director, believe it or not, in these crazy times. And, and she really had a tough time with what now, what next. And so every morning she sits and, and gets clear, you know, just taking five or 10 minutes to ponder, okay, where's my best energy? Who are the people that I need to chat with today? What do I need to do to create the greatest influence with the things that I have control over right now. And that's kind of the big thing because we can create insanity for ourselves by trying to change things that aren't changeable. And people have become champions at that, haven't they? In trying to control things they can't control. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I often say we have to pause every now and then. And one of my favorite things is a, it's called the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, maybe from 12-step programs, but I believe it can be helpful for us in everyday life to just stop, ask ourselves, if I'm creating sanity, insanity for myself, you know, can I control it right now? Yes, I can. If I just sit and, and ask myself, what can I do right now to make a difference for myself? In your research for the book, what have you found about the relationship between professional excellence and how recognition affects performance? For instance, some people think that it's if they give too much recognition or praise to their people on their team, that they'll become complacent and won't work hard. Some people have the mistaken belief that once you say to someone that you like what they've produced, they know that they're pleased and they don't need it repeated. What have you found out about the importance of recognition and appreciation and how it affects professional excellence? The best leaders will provide regular feedback and recognition on a weekly basis and have it return great, greatly for them in terms of productivity and their employees' general contentment. As human beings, we love getting the attaboys and the girls. We want to be seen. And so I think that one of the best things that we need to do as great leaders is to recognize or see the good work that our people are doing and not, not just assume that they know you know, to tell them on a regular basis, like, great job on that project. And yeah, I like what you're doing with this, you know, no, uh, trusting and believing that because of that, they are not, they're not going to sit back on their laurels. They're going to work harder for you. Michelle, do you have an example of sitting in a meeting and listening to people describe a project and review it perhaps? And then the person who is leading it talking to you and saying, oh, we gave a lot of positive feedback there. And you just were saying to yourself inside, I heard none of what you think took place. <laughs> it's surprising to me how difficult it is for people to give praise. And I'm, I'm not sure why that's the case, because it's not like you're saying, oh, my gosh, you're doing terrible work, Tom. But to say to somebody, I see what you're doing here, like, good for you. It's not going to diminish the leader's position at the, at the head of the table, if you will. In fact, it's going to help elevate the entire team. You know, I've, I've witnessed it a couple of times with, I, I don't want to say stubborn leaders, but perhaps with leaders. Who oh, you could say that here. There's a lot of stubbornness that leads to people becoming higher up in an organization. Perhaps didn't want to give the praise because the work they were seeing wasn't at the level that they thought it should be. So they wanted perfection before they were going to give praise. And I, I remember coaching one of my clients named Megan and basically saying, you know, you're going to get them to, to the level that you want them to quicker if you guide them with 
praise rather than punishment, which was a little harder for her to wrap her head around. But if they're not doing it the way you want to, guide them with praise as to how they can get there. Don't wait until perfection to bring the praise in. And I imagine that Megan thought that that was a very big step that you were asking of her. What was something that you offered that helped her take a baby step, an entryway into giving that praise? And what, what was the outcome? Well, I modeled it for her. I mean, she's a young leader and so kind of brand new with having people that she's leading and so trying to be perfect herself. And uh, I had to remind her of the steps that she'd gone through to get to where she is and some of the learnings that she had navigated in the years that we've worked together. You know, she's an entirely different person now than when we first started working together. And she's, you know, she kind of had the aha uh -huh moment. I wasn't, uh, you know, saying to her, oh my gosh, you need to be a better communicator. I, I was showing her examples of, of times when she was. Michelle, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? I think I am, Bill. Earlier, we talked about a person who was inspiring and influential growing up. When you were a teenager, what's a song that you really liked? The song that came into my mind was Chilliwack. Gone, 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 she's been gone so long. I don't know why. I just love the, the, um, the harmony in it. <laughs> What's the most effective way that you've found to get the word out about your mission each week? I send out a weekly message to my clients that has me on video sharing my messages with my in an inimitable Michelle Cedarberg style. <laughs> and how do you define personal success? I personally define success as having the right amount of work to sustain me and the right amount of fun to keep going. What's the best $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? My bread bowl and my kit to make bread. <laughs> what book have you given as a gift more than any other in the last year? It's a book by Stephen Pressfield called Do the Work, <laughs> which I just love. It's a kind of a cheeky look at overcoming resistance to the things that you really want to do and aren't doing. It really talks about discipline in a in your face kind of way. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? The habit that I have stopped is having my phone next to me anytime after 7 p.m. when I'm watching television or if I'm reading or doing anything with my husband or with friends, I try to put that device where I can't see it because it becomes a distraction. So I'm a little more present with the things that matter most. It's amazing because research even shows that if you just have it on the table or near you, you're less engaged. You're less engaged. And I'm telling you right now, we need people around us to be connected to more than ever. And we're not doing that so well because our devices have ended up being our gateway to everything. We need to give ourselves a break from them because they're changing our brains. Michelle, you wanted to have more focus and fulfillment and higher energy so that you could perform at a higher level. And in the book, you say, from there, I had to strengthen my own belief systems and discipline in bringing that goal to completion. And it wasn't until I defined those barriers that I could work to get over them. Can you elaborate on the importance of defining the obstacles in order to overcome them and give us a specific example about how you did that and the difference that it made in your life? Yeah, you know, when we've got that task, that goal in front of us, and we're not getting to it, most of the time, if we're absolutely honest with ourselves, we can identify how we are holding ourselves back. And for me, when I was writing the book, I had the self-belief in me kind of, you know, lukewarm, if you will. And I needed to, you know, decide that this is a book that really needs to be written. And then my habits weren't that good because I was kind of writing it here and there. And I decided, all right, I do my best work in the morning. 
I need to focus my energy. And in order to be ready to go for a good writing session every morning, I need to make sure that I get good sleep. And that meant I need to minimize or eliminate, you know, alcohol before bed. I needed to make sure that I was exercising regularly. So I was clearing my head, if you will. I had to set aside distractions in my desk before I went to bed or left the office the day before. And so that when I woke up in the next day, I would sit down at my desk and I would be driven and committed to getting at least 90 minutes of writing in every single day. Well, Michelle, you have been so generous with sharing with me on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much. We started off talking about a person who influenced or inspired you. And you talked about Hugh, which was your kayaking coach when you were a teenager. And he left you with the, the strong message to keep your eye on the line. And boy, has that had a positive influence in your life. We've talked about the success energy equation, where success is equal to clear goals and a strong belief and discipline in order to get the work done on a regular basis, all raised to the power of the energy that you have available. Though we can get by with skipping some of those things that make our energy high, like eating well, getting enough sleep, getting exercise, the body's resilient. But that doesn't mean that we're optimizing our lives by seeing how far we could take it before the body says, whoa, stop there. We talked about the example with Sheila, who runs a travel and tourism organization. She was feeling like her people were being Zoomed to death because they were working so hard to please her. She made it mandatory to take lunch breaks and to set up no Zoom times during the day so that people could recuperate and found great benefit in that. One of the great tips that I took away is to walk yourself to work. If you don't have a commute where you drive, Take the time to walk yourself to work and use that as your transition time to get into your workday, as well as to decompress and come out of your workday. We talked about so many examples that were really useful and helped us understand the importance of using our energy to improve our performance. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been a lot of fun, Bill. Thank you. Michelle, before we say goodbye for now, where's a website where we can find out more about you and your work online? Successenergybook.com. We're going to link to that site as well as all of your speaking materials, your social media, as well as the link for the book so that people could buy it, read it, and benefit from it because it's a terrific book that you've put a lot of your energy into that I want others to be able to benefit from as well. Michelle Cederberg, author of The Success Energy Equation, I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks, Bill. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.